This is episode 161 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are No-Till Garden Cover Crops, How to Stop Next Year's Weeds This Fall, How to Store Fuel, and How to Deal When Someone Says If Anything Happens, I'm Coming to Your House. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. All right, before we get started, uh, there was a discussion on uh, the Facebook group. Uh, Someone posted, so Judy posted, Las Vegas, do you avoid heavily populated areas or events? And so a bunch of people chimed in here. So a lot of people are like, yeah, I do, or I don't like crowds. Uh, you know, as I'm getting older, I don't like to be around people, those kinds of things. Uh, Brian, you know, Brian's with, been, uh, you know, on the podcast or with the podcast for, for a long, long time. Brian is like, nope, uh, I'm not going to drastically change my life uh, because of, you know, something like this. And so uh, I don't either. I don't normally refrain from going somewhere where I know there's going to be a, uh, you know, a, a big crowd. However, I am, uh, I, I don't know, I guess my, my, uh, my spidey senses are heightened, I guess. Uh, I like to pay attention a little bit more, and sometimes it does feel a little uncomfortable just knowing all the things that you know and thinking about all the things you, you can think about. Um, Houston is a, is a big city, you know, and so if it was going to be, uh, you know, if someone wanted to target it, there's just a lot of things that they could target. So, uh, you know, it does cross my mind. But we got to make sure that we don't live in fear and, and don't cower in fear. Um, the Las Vegas thing, there's just so much still coming out. All the conspiracy theories are out there. Uh, you know, were there two shooters? You know, all this kind of stuff. Uh, later on in the uh, in the uh, afternoon, I was reading where uh, the guy actually uh, recorded himself or videoed himself uh, and had a couple of different cameras up there. Um, so you know, who who knows the, what the truth is? Uh, there's just so much out there still, and um, we might not ever know the the whole truth of it. Um, but one thing definitely that is happening that you you see it all over the media because the media is going to jump all over it is uh, all the the talk about gun control. And so I don't know, you know, if that's going to be prolonged and if that would affect uh, ammo that's out there and, and gun cells and stuff, but or firearm cells, but. Uh, you, that might be something that you want to consider. So if you have been in, um, you know, if you've been prepping for a while, you probably, you, you should have all the ammo that you possibly would want uh, unless you were just trying to save up money uh, and, and trying to do it very, very slowly. But if it's something you've been uh, prolonging, it's probably not ever going to be any cheaper. Again, it's going to, it's the cheapest that it is now. Uh, you know, it's, n- it's not ever going to go down. And so you might want to consider uh, you know, buying an extra box or two if, uh, if that's something that you know you need to add to your preps. Um, the, the, the King of Spain was on, got on TV today, and, uh, or at least in Spain, and uh, talked about the, the independent vote in Catalonia. Uh, and, of course, they're not backing down. They're not, you know, they're saying that it was unlawful. And so we want to keep an eye on what's going on over there in Spain because it is part of Europe. And it can cause ripple effects. And so that's one of the things we're going to kind of keep an eye on out there and, and see what's going on. Because uh, like we said, the government's not going to go lightly on that one. They don't want to give up uh, that prime 
uh, you know, all that, all the tax money that that's up there and uh, all, the, all of that. So it's not going to go, it's not going to look nice. So we're, we're going to see what's going to happen out there. Uh, one of the guys I follow on Twitter uh, retweeted uh, someone by the name of Beth Carpenter. I don't follow her on Twitter, but apparently she's someone who deals with weather. And uh, just a FYI, for those of you on the Gulf Coast, uh, the, the northern Gulf Coast, uh, there seems to be, or well, this is the tweet. It says, all global models appear to be coming to the consensus of tropical impacts to the Gulf Coast within the next few, or the next week. And so um, I think she's tagged Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Florida here. And uh, I was following some of the retweets here and some of her responses. Uh, it's not going to be, she, she doesn't believe it would be as strong as uh, the storms that we have encountered uh, uh, earlier, you know, with Harvey and Maria and Irma, but still, any any kind of rain going into Florida uh, could cause a lot of problems. And uh, if you know, wh- how, what, whatever way that that tropical storm goes, I'm sure people are going to be uh, pretty tense on that one. So uh, um, again, nothing to freak out about, but definitely keep an eye on uh, the Gulf Coast if you are if you live on the Gulf Coast, and uh, just keep an eye on. Uh, what's what's happening out there and uh, if it's something that you should start gearing up for uh, you know pretty pretty soon so uh, here towards the end of the week we'll uh, we should look at it again all right our first article we have three articles today the the first two are kind of short and uh, I have this I, I know I'm probably gonna start talking on on, on them I'm gonna try to refrain uh, uh, from from going too too long on commentary but um, this first one comes to us from oldworldfarmsgarden.com. Again, that's oldworldgarden.com. I'm sorry, oldworldgardenfarms.com. And um, this is discussing the no-till garden cover crops and how to stop next year's weeds this fall. Um, something to, uh, to to consider, especially because everybody should have a garden. You should be you should be growing something. You should be attempting to grow something. I'm not the best gardener, but uh, attempt to grow something every year. And so there's a little bit of work that you can do uh, here in the fall that will help uh, definitely when you get ready to start planting in the spring. So let's go ahead and read this one. When it comes to low-maintenance gardening, nothing can quite lend a hand like planting a no-till garden cover crop. Do you want to eliminate nearly all of your weeding woes next year? Would you like to plant your vegetables next spring with ease and without the hassle of a rototiller? And does the thought of fertilizing your garden 100% naturally appeal to you? Well, if you plant soil charging, weed eliminating, no-till garden cover crops this fall, you are well on your way to all three and more. No-till garden cover crops, the secret to a low-maintenance, high-powered garden. Each fall, we plant the soil in the growing rows of our raised row garden with a thick cover crop of annual winter rye. It quickly fills the bare soil with a lush, protective, dark green carpet of grass. That carpet of grass, quote-unquote carpet of grass, helps in more ways than you would ever think. The thick covering protects valuable topsoil, keeping it from eroding from harsh winter winds, rain, sleet, and snow. But more importantly, a cover crop is a huge key to keeping next year's weeds and weeding chores to a bare minimum. By covering the barren soil with lush growth, it shields, a gar- it shields a garden from weed seeds blowing and drifting in and lying in wait to become next year's weeding woes for you. Even more, cover crops act as the ultimate organic fertilizer for the garden. 
A cover crop gives back its nutrients as it grows and decomposes. It fixes nitrogen levels and recharges valuable nutrient minerals, making them available to grow healthy vegetables every year. And if that wasn't enough, the roots of cover crops loosen the soil structure below, making it easier for next year's vegetable plants to find air, nutrients, and a simple path to strong growth. See how to plant a fall cover crop. But don't I have to till cover crops in next spring? One of the best benefits about planting a fall cover crop in your garden is that there is absolutely no need to till it in next spring. You can simply mow it down, mow down a cover crop such as annual rye a few times in the spring and plant right through the undisturbed surface below. In fact, it makes planting a breeze. We use a simple post hole digger to create our planting holes and our tomatoes, tomatoes, peppers, and more are in the ground in minutes. That means no messing around with a rototiller or garden plow, no waiting for spring rains to stop so that you can work the soil, and more importantly, it means not disturbing the dirt in the garden to allow new weed seeds to find a home. And in all, it allows you to create the ultimate low-maintenance, high-powered garden. Why not tilling Why not, not tilling makes all the difference? Not having to till your garden is more than just a time and labor saver. It also actually helps keep soil healthier and stronger. Too much tilling can lead to poor soil structure. It also can wreak havoc on the population of earthworms and beneficial organisms that lie below the surface. But more than anything, by not tilling, it will cut your weeding chores tenfold. Every time garden soil is turned over, the weed seeds on top are getting replanted. Don't disturb the soil and those weeds never find a home. Just stop and think about what happens to soil within days of tilling. The freshly dug earth explodes in a heavy population of sprouting weeds. So what do you do? You till again and again and again. All the while the weeds multiply and the soil structure disintegrates more and more. With no-till garden cover crops and the raised row garden method, these endless chores are eliminated and so are 99% of the weeds. It really is gardening made simple. In fact, that is why we are so excited to have finally put the entire process of raised row gardening together in our soon-to-be-released book, One Source to Cover Gardening Made Simple. We will have a big release article on the raised row gardening book this weekend, but for our loyal followers, you can take a sneak peek at the cover info and release dates here. Raised row gardening, how to grow incredible organic produce with no weeding. Happy gardening and get that cover crop in. Jim and Mary. All right, so uh, good article here on uh, cover crops. There's about 14 comments uh, with a little bit more information that you can go and, and, and get that. You know, I was talking with uh, an older lady this, uh, this weekend who was talking about gardening and, and getting in there and tilling up her ground. And I just didn't want to uh, bust her bubble about, hey, you know, you're, you're destroying the soil and the soil structure when you do that. Um, but... Uh, you know, something something to, to do and something to think about here. There's just so much benefit from it. Uh, I'm planning on, on doing a little bit of this here real soon and getting this in. Here in Houston, our, uh, you know, our weather is, is, is a lot more favorable than it is to, for you guys up north. But, uh, you know, trying to get this in and uh, seeing how it works for me uh, this year around because I, I definitely, I hate weeding. If I can uh, not weed, that would be great. All right, so again, that's over at uh, Old 
worldgardenfarms.com. And like always, I will link to it in the show notes so you can go check it out for yourself. Uh, they've got some great pictures of their rows and uh, their, uh, the rows you know, with the cover crops in them. Our next article comes to us from theprepperjournal.com. And uh, this article is how to store fuel. I think we have uh, talked about this before in the past, but uh, we want to continue to talk about that, especially with uh, all the, the, the hurricanes and the fires and you know people talking about generators and, and being prepared in, in that way. Um, if you're going to store fuel, you want to make sure that you do it in the proper way so that it, it's there and it's good for you when you need it. Uh, when you need to be able to fill up your generator. So let's go ahead and read this one, How to Store Fuel. A friend of mine just evacuated his mother-in-law from Florida prior to Hurricane Irma's arrival. I'd heard multiple reports on the news of severe gas shortages all throughout the state, and so I asked him if he had had any trouble with filling up his tank. His response, he had had to drive to three separate gas stations before he finally found one that hadn't been run dry. What would he have done had they not had enough gas in their car to search all over town for gas stations that weren't empty yet? He potentially could have been stranded in an area that was being evacuated or worse. We've had an active hurricane season this year, and there are further reports that we are going to continue to experience a gas shortage this season until hurricanes finish pummeling our coastline. So, how do you avoid gas shortages when crap happens? When the pump runs dry, what do you do? Your car will no longer get you anywhere, and if there is a power shortage in your area, which there is a high probability of if people are evacuating, then eventually your gasoline power generator won't work either. No generator equals no refrigerator, and this can have big repercussions if you have stored medication that need to be kept cold or a decent amount of food that will otherwise go to waste. Just look at the current state of Puerto Rico. They've got absolutely no power and nobody has any idea of when it will be back on. How do you keep your father-in-law's insulin refrigerated when you have no gasoline? As you can see, the wisest course of action would be to have at least some fuel stored prior, but there are a lot of questions this raises. How long does gasoline last? Doesn't diesel degrade? And where should I store it? We're going to aim to answer these questions and more throughout this article. Fuel Storage Basics The general rule of thumb when it comes to storing fuel is that the more refined the fuel is, the shorter the shelf life is going to be. This means that kerosene, being the least refined, is going to last a much longer time than gasoline does. On average, kerosene will store for 15 plus years, diesel will store somewhere around 8 to 10 years, and gasoline will store approximately 2 years. Storing fuel any longer than this can result in engine troubles if you decide to use it. With time, decomposition occurs which can result in gums and peroxides accumulating within the fuel. These can then clog fuel filters, lines, and pumps and make it so your engine won't run altogether. Gasoline has further problems with becoming useless over time because the butane that's added to it to help your engine start will evaporate. So what can we do to protect our fuel? Number one, protect your fuel from the elements. The first and most important thing that you can do to protect your stored fuel is to make sure that you actually have it stored in a secure container. Fuel needs to be kept away from moisture at this, as this will accumulate within the fuel causing problems when you do finally use it. The best place to store fuel would probably be in a sealed underground container, but those are expensive and a lot harder to come by. 
good old-fashioned fuel cans are going to be the most common form of storage for the, Amer the average American. Do what you can to store these canisters in an area that is not exposed to extremes or temperatures or moistures. By doing this, you will help to preserve the integrity of your fuel long term. Number two, use a fuel stabilizer for gasoline. Fuel stabilizers work by preventing the decomposition of the different compounds within fuel. Within the most common fuel stabilizer, you'll find being stable. Stable is a wonderful fuel stabilizer that will actually increase the longevity of your fuel, particularly gasoline. You can find it at essentially any home improvement Y store or there or out there, and I've found it at Tractor Supply, Lowe's, and Home Depot, just to name a few. Number three is buy gasoline for storage during the winter. Gasoline has butane added to it. Butane evaporates over time. This makes starting your car generator, whatever, even more difficult during colder months. Gasoline companies know that butane evaporates, and they also know that if your car doesn't start during the cold, you may assume that the last gas station you went to sold you junk gas. So, they add extra butane to gasoline during the winter time. The infamous winter blend always talked about when refineries slow production to switch. To help the cold weather engine starting. Buying and storing winter produced gasoline will mean that your gasoline will have extra butane added to it, meaning that it will last longer than summertime gasoline. Um, I'm just curious if um, this winter blend is sold everywhere in the United States or if it's just uh, for the northern, uh, northern states or where it's you know the extreme cold. I don't remember ever uh, hearing about a winter blend or uh, you know this effect down here in the, in the Houston area. So uh, if someone does know that, feel free to uh, chime in uh, in one of the the comments or in episode 161 in the comment section. So uh, I'll come back and uh, talk a little bit about that. But just I don't have any 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 uh, experience with a winter blend down here in Houston. Number four is use an antibacterial for long-term diesel storage. It's fairly common to have at least some water find its way into your fuel, whether that be from condensation or a faulty gasket. With diesel, that water will have a higher density and sink to the bottom of the fuel tank. However, right where the water line meets the diesel line, bacteria and fungi have the potential to grow and cause problems if given enough time and the right conditions. These bacteria and fungi can give off acidic byproducts, which in turn can result in sediment, affectionately refined to as diesel sludge. Deep, deep positioning at the bottom of the tank, plugged fuel filters, tank corrosion, and crappy fuel. Using a biocide such as bellicide will long, with long-term diesel storage can help to eliminate this problem before it ever becomes an issue. Stable also has similar diesel storage products. However, and I'm personally more familiar with them. Nobody wants to be stranded in a potentially dangerous area without access to, ga to quality gasoline. Therefore, storing a re reasonable amount and taking care of it is a very wise precaution. By following the above tips, you'll be much better prepared to get your family and yourself out of Dodge when the going gets tough. Um, there's a couple of comments here. Someone in the comments section did mention um, uh, the Pry-D and the Pry-G. And I do remember Stephen Harris. Actually, I do use the Pry-G. Um, and that's uh, Pry, the G for gasoline and the D is for diesel. And uh, supposedly this, uh, you know, this uh, 
stabilizer will rejuvenate fuel that's been sitting for two years or more. Uh, and it keeps uh, keeps fuel for a little bit longer than that. So um, stable is good, and you can use stable. But this Pry G and the Pry D might be something that you're interested in. If uh, you know if you're if you're storing a lot, and definitely just like food storage, you want to store you want to rotate your gasoline storage. Uh, you've always heard the um, the idea of having 12 uh, 12 different containers, you know, two and a half or five gallons or whatever, you know, uh, you have of the fuel and then putting a month on there, right? So one through one through 12. And then whatever month that is, you use that, you pour that gasoline into your car and then you go ahead and refill it. And so you're, you're refuel, refueling those every, or refilling those every, um, every month. Uh, and so you don't, um, you know, you don't let your gas sit there and, and go bad. So uh, that that's possibility to do that, but that's uh, you know you're buying a lot of containers there. But if you're counting on generators and you're thinking that things would get really really bad, um, you know that might be something that you might want to invest in if you if you have that um, uh, ability to do that. But uh, there are some comments here that might be interesting for those of you who are um, looking to have generators and looking to store fuel uh, and those kinds of things. You might want to go check those out and uh, you know see what they have to say. All right, so that's over at theprepperjournal.com. Uh, good article there on fuel storage. All right, so might camp out on this one just a little bit longer. Um, this article is, uh, is from backdoorsurvival.com, and the title is How to Deal When Someone Says, If Anything Happens, I'm Coming to Your House. And that's you know, a topic that you hear all the time in, uh, in preparedness and uh, one that I remember, and I've talked about it pretty often on the podcast, that I remember reading that and it just drove me, it was just crazy. I couldn't believe what I was reading because you had people saying, like if my mom or my dad come over, uh, you know, I've talked to them about being prepared. They think I'm a kook. If they come over when the poop hits the fan, they're going to be met, you know, with, uh, you know, with my shotgun. Uh, they're going to, you know, get the end of my shotgun or whatever. And I'm like, how can you possibly do that? But uh, this article was written by Samantha Biggers, and she's, you know, we've read other articles by her uh, that have been posted on BackdoorSurvival.com. So let's go ahead and read this one, and uh, I'll, I have some commentary that I want to come back on this one. All right, so my husband and I built our own house, raised and butchered pigs, chickens, cattle, sewed clothes, made quilts, and a lot of other things over the years. We make sure to have medical supplies and can a lot of food. My writing has been has been in quite a few magazines read by preppers and homesteaders. I know how to can anything you want to put back and I can can tan a hide. We live on nearly 11 acres. I say all these things not to brag but rather to show how others get the impression that I am in a position to get them out of a bad situation. Even when we were living in a 1970s travel, travel trailer in 2008 with no bathroom and struggled to keep it 60 degrees in the winter while raising pastured pigs and a few chickens and cattle, I had people jokingly saying, well, if anything happens, I am coming to stay with you. No, you're not. Harsh, but it is rude for the unprepared to think they can just head out to my place if something happens. There is no way for us to support that many people in a long-term emergency. What bugs me the most about some people saying this is that they are often those that don't even visit me or talk to me on anything that resembles a regular basis. We have spent a lot of time and energy to have what we have. 
Our 20s were not full of festivities and going out on the weekends, but as a result, we are more prepared at 34, but there is no way to help everyone that needs it in a crisis. Sometimes it is someone I haven't seen in more than a decade. Sorry, but if you're not involved with my life now or care enough to hang out once in a while, then why should I put faith and trust in you in a major situation and also provide supplies? Major family members come first, and even if I had extra supplies, they would go to those with useful skills that could contribute positively to the situation, not just anyone. This is a tough situation to have an answer for. Surely, I think that it is, a, it is good to help people, but at the same time, you cannot give everything away or take care of everyone. After much deliberation, I have come to the conclusion that there are some things that need said to those that say they are going to rely on you during an emergency. Can you actually make it to my place? Unless you live really close, then there is a good chance that you are not going to be able to reach another property. A lot of the people that say they are going to come find me in an SHTF situation would simply not be able to make it the distance they would need to. Commuting 50 miles in a car is one thing, but if it is dangerous times, then 50 miles might as well be on the moon. Also, most are not prepared to walk that far in a short, short period of time. It is not politically correct to talk about weight and body size, but it is important to being prepared, so I am going to anyway. I grew up in the 80s and 90s when the only time you saw someone using a ride-on cart in a store, it was because they were very old or disabled. Now, people do it just because they don't want to walk or exercise. Americans, as a whole, are not in the greatest physical condition. Saying you are going to hit the bush with your bug-out bag or next to nothing is a lot different than actually doing it. When I was 24 in 2007, I could not walk up the hill to our property without catching my breath. Being in good enough shape to walk a 15-mile day with a pack weighing 20-plus pounds or even with 10 pounds is not actually something I feel most people are up to. Plenty of people don't even have the right footwear to be on their feet and moving for any major length of time. And, you know, just I'm going to comment here. We have recently talked about that. Uh, even Scott over at Grey Wolf, Grey Wolf Survival uh, talking about I me. Mean, he was healthy, even breaking his foot, you know, when he was preparing to go to Afghanistan, right? Um, so while you don't want to point out to your friend that they are lacking fitness, you can point out physical limits in a more polite way, like asking them if they are prepared to walk a long distance in an emergency. They will put it together from there if they have much sense. Getting in better physical shape is something that should be emphasized more in prepping. It is easy to think you are in better shape than you are. We have people sometimes want to spend a day out on our farm working and they honestly expect to go out there and do the same level of activity as we do. No one starts at the top. It takes time to get into shape and too many people get impatient and just give up. If you want to be able to actually bug out, then you need to make sure you can hike a bit with a pack. I realize that there are the elderly and disabled to think about as well. These folks need to be prepared to shelter in place or have someone near them that can help out. In a major emergency or collapse, driving somewhere might not be an option. If you are worried about things, then start prepping. When someone says, I am coming to your place and have done nothing to prepare themselves, it is like telling you, I am not going to sacrifice now, but I am more than willing to take from you later. Some people may not quite realize what they are seeing exactly, but the reality is that they are prepared to mooch off your prepping now. The best thing you can do is to tell the person that they are a, there are a lot of things that they can do to be more prepared. Relying on you is not going to help them if you, are, if you live a long way apart, especially, and you cannot plan for everyone. 
help guide them towards getting started with preparing activities. A lot of people don't realize how much investing $20 or less here and there in extra supplies can help. A Sawyer mini water filter is $20 and will last for 100,000 gallons. A pack of Bic lighters is $5 and bootlaces are $2. Five pounds of macaroni noodles are $7. There are countless small steps that can get someone started. Instead of just saying, don't rely on me, offer to open their eyes to the world of prepping. If someone doesn't take take you seriously, then that is their problem. At least you were honest and tried. Tell them you simply don't have enough to take on anyone else in the point of coming to your house is pushed. You really need to be firm with others that you don't that you don't put back enough for others that is work and money enough to take care of your own needs and those of your family. People make a lot of assumptions about how much you have based on the outsider looking in approach. Encourage people to put back food and have a good water filter or two. Food and water are the most scarce resources in a true emergency and while filtering some water to help someone out is one thing, Putting back enough food to take on refugees is not realistic. Maybe you might have enough for one person, but when you have a lot of people acting like you are their backup plan in an SHTF situation, it is easy to see how you might be in a situation of having to turn a lot of people away and the drama and escalation that could result from this. It is best to discourage and say no right now and decrease the odds of others showing up. Encourage these people to develop useful skills. Did you know how many people in their 20s and 30s don't know how to even cook a basic meal? It is astounding the lack of basic skills due to basic ra- to being raised in a consumer-based society. I remember in my 20s that my boss was amazed that I cooked at all. I was shocked enough to say, well, yeah, we got to eat. Learning useful skills can save time and money with your household and make you a more prepared person if you cannot rely on all the goods and services you are privy to at the moment. YouTube has a ton of videos that can show you how to do stuff, so it is not like you have to take the time to go to take classes from, for some skills. Here are some examples of skills you can encourage others to do to be more prepared. A few of these may require help from a friend to learn, hey, that might be you in this case, or an inexpensive short class. Sewing, cooking, butchering, gun repair and shooting skills for hunting, firewood splitting, canning, drying, and other food preservation, CPR, and first aid. If you ever do find yourself in an SHTF situation, then if someone does have extra supplies and resources so they can take in a refugee even for a short time period, having useful skills is going to put you in a better position when they are picking and choosing who to accept into their group. Suggest they consider the other members of their family and the overall needs. When someone says they are coming to my place, they are usually not just talking about bringing themselves. Sometimes it is a spouse and a few kids. So wait a minute, I am supposed to say, oh, all right, just bring everyone. As much as I love kids, let's be honest, in a crisis situation, they are most likely consumers. Don't get me wrong, there are plenty of small tasks kids can do, but they are more vulnerable and simply not as strong and lack a lot of the major skills that are useful. There is no way I can take on a lot of people that are not putting something back into the situation, even if I have a bit extra. If someone has kids, then they have even more reason to prep for their own family and be prepared enough to give kids the attention and resources they need to get through a bad situation. Consider lying and saying you are bugging out and not sheltering in place. I don't like to tell people to lie, but when the survival and safety of you and your family are at play, it might be something you should consider. 
telling those that want to use you as their go-to place in SHTF that you are bugging out if things get bad rather than sheltering in place can help put the idea out of their head. You can also add in that your reason for this is that you are concerned about too many roving bands and refugees so you feel you are better off. Of course, someone might try to come anyway, but they also might just remember that there would be nothing for them there if they did and you would not be there to help them in other areas of survival. This was a difficult and harsh post for me to write. It is good to try to help others and I don't want to see others suffer, but one of the things that my Vietnam veteran father taught me is that sometimes you have to put aside the warm and fuzzy feelings and survive. Jungle warfare was hell and the army couldn't get through to his platoon for five days once. He almost starved and had to eat and drink some pretty terrible things while walking out of the jungle. Major situations make it necessary to make some tough decisions and considering how you will deal with them before they happen is, critical part, is a critical part of prepping. I am sorry if this article has been too crude and offensive for some, but I feel that the reality is that too many people think they can take from others to rely on them while doing little or nothing now during good times. So, uh, Samantha, I don't think this was a, a harsh article at all. Like I said, I've read articles that have just made me... You know, my mouth drop just, you know, with people even saying that they would like, again, like I said, uh, if, if their own parents were at the door, that they would uh, be met with uh, the end of a shotgun. So I think this gives, uh, you know, a pretty good perspective. And it also gives some advice um, for you to help other people to uh, to consider that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming from um, I'm coming from the perspective of when I was uh, working as an assistant principal. Uh, on the on the campus, um, people knew that I, I was a, a prepper. They knew that I had the website. You know, we we talked about it openly. Um, I mean, it was kind of cool. But people would say, "Todd, I'm just coming to your house," and I would always say, I kind of would use this line from her. I mean, it wasn't lying. I would I would always say, "Sure, you can come. I'm not going to be there. You know, uh, I'm going to be up in, in in my dad's place up in the country." Uh, and realistically, that would be our the best case scenario. That's what we would be doing. Uh, and we would be going, we would be going up there, and that's where we would be uh, bugging out to and sheltering uh, up there. And and that's that's where uh, you know that's the that's the ultimate plan. Uh, there, you, we might not be able to get up there and blah 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 and all those kinds of things. You, know, you never know what kind of scenario you're in, right? So, but uh, so you got to make uh, contingency plans. But what I would do now um, uh, when people would say that is um, bring up that idea of, so you're telling me you don't want to take, so if someone said, uh, Todd, I'm just coming over to your house if anything bad happens because you're prepared. And I would say, so you're telling me you don't want to take responsibility for your family and for yourself. And I would just kind of leave it, leave it at that, you know, because sometimes they were playing around when they were saying it. Sometimes they were playing, but they were serious uh, uh, about it. But I would just put that back and say, hey, so you're saying you're not responsible for your family or you don't care enough about your family. You don't care enough about yourself. You don't care enough about your family. You don't care enough about your kids to prepare. 
and you're counting on someone else, you know. And so kind of turn it around and, and uh, put it back on them. You're, you're taking the monkey off your back and putting the monkey back on them. Uh, because it, it is true. A lot of people do sacrifice. A lot of people do, uh, you know, they don't do have all the nice fun stuff because or do all the, the things that some people do because they are spending money on preparing and, and putting things back and those kinds of things. So, um, you know, uh, doing it tactfully and doing it, you know, not doing it harshly, but, you know, coming back to them and saying, hey, so you're saying you don't want to take responsibility? Um, I, I think that would really, if, if the person had any real morals and any sense, um, they would they would get the idea. They would understand what what you were saying, right? There's going to be some people that just aren't going to get it. And, uh, you know, there are some people that you might have to say, hey, no, uh, you, you're not coming to my house, you know, uh, you're not going to be welcome there. I'm going to be welcoming other people or, you know, I don't have enough. I mean, that's, you can plain, plainly say that I don't have enough for, for other people. I am preparing for my family and that's it. And so there's not going to be anything else. So uh, you can say those kinds of things. And of course, some of the other things that she has said in here and alluded to, uh, I think are good. Um, you know, there's, it's, I, and I've said this before in the past, the thing that's going to drive me is going to be my Christian faith. So I, I don't know if uh, I would be able to turn anybody around uh, away, you know, in a, in a true SHTF situation. Um, you know, I, I believe in God. I, you know, we prepare, we do everything that we can, uh, everything that we humanly can do. And then we have faith and we rely on God. And, and that's where I'm coming from. I know not everybody listening to this podcast has the same thoughts. Uh, I know I have written articles and I have made that mention and other people have had totally different ideas and, and, uh, you know, they don't think like that at all. And you, you've got to deal with however you, uh, you know, wh however way you want to, uh, you know, proceed with this idea. I mean, you've got to think this through. But I know that there's a lot of Christians that listen to this podcast, and there's a lot of Christians who prepare. And one of the things to, to that I always try to remember is that my Christianity or my faith in God doesn't just go down the tube because, uh, you know, there is a SHTF scenario, right? Uh, just because the poop has hit the fan doesn't mean that uh, God's nowhere to be found, and my faith is is uh, you know is goes away. If that's if that's true, if that happens, then it wasn't true faith at all. And so uh, that's that guides me. Uh, I know that that's going to take. Uh, if, if we were ever in a real SHTF scenario, um, that's that's probably what would be guiding me, and that's what I would be. Uh, you know, uh, that's how I would be coming uh, from that point of view. And that perspective. Now, of course, now listen very closely to me. I'm not gullible. I'm not. A, I'm, I'm not an idiot, right? I would be very discerning. I would be very wise. Uh, I would, you know, be be uh, all the things that I have read and all the things that I have written and all the ideas of preparedness. I would put all those things. I would put those would all be in my filter, right? I would be using all those as, as well as my faith in God and uh, my discernment and the leading of the Holy Spirit as far as, you know, how all that plays out. But, uh, you know, if family members came in, they're like they needed help, uh, you know, friends, you know, I would really, really have to... Um, It'd be really hard for me to to uh, send them away. You know, uh, it would. It, I would really have to think about the situation. And again, my faith in God would would play uh, the big part there. And so I know a lot of you 
uh, are, are out there in the same similar situations. Um, this is something to kind of think about, you know, because uh, things things can happen and things are crazy right now. Everybody everybody realizes that things are crazy right now. All kinds of of things are happening, and then so uh, you know you gotta you gotta take those things into consideration and uh, think through think through those a little bit. We've talked about that just recently this week about war gaming and thinking through scenarios and and that might be something that you need to uh, walk through and uh, filter it through on your belief system and how you would respond. All right, so that's a good article over at uh, Backdoor Survival. Um, this one, really, I mean, people were interested in this one. So uh, there's a lot of shares in this one. Uh, it's a fairly recent uh, uh, article. So uh, a lot of shares and a lot of replies. So there's 41 comments here that, uh, you know, you can come and check out. Uh, Samantha did a good job of coming in and uh, responding to uh, people who had questions and uh, so if you have a question for her, you can drop that in there. I know that she, uh, she'll she respond. I have had communication with her on uh, on Facebook. So, uh, you know, I, I know that she is a, a person who is, uh, you know, she, she's actually, she does have a farm. She's uh, living, the, uh, living the talk. So you can ask her some good questions and uh, she'll respond to you over at backdoorsurvival.com. All right. Hey, uh, Thanks so much for being a part of the podcast and uh, episode 161. Uh, hey, I got to tell you, I know there's a lot of new listeners, and, and if you are with me, if you've been with me all the way to the end, I just want to say, hey, welcome to the podcast. And I guess I should have said that at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, it's just I can see the numbers and they're going up, and uh, just really appreciative of everybody who's coming out and uh, you know being a part of uh, the podcast and downloading it and adding uh, adding us to your uh, your podcast catchers and and to your your podcast lineup. So we really do appreciate that. Hey, if you get a chance, I'd love to hear from you. Love to, to hear any kind of feedback that you might have. You could come to episode 161 or any other um, episode, you know, at the prepperwebsitepodcast.com and leave me a message in the comment section. Uh, you can also uh, connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Don't forget to come uh, and check out the Facebook group and be a part of that. And also the email list. If you are interested, if you have not joined up yet and uh, you want to be a part of that free e-course, I'm telling you, it's going to go away here really soon. I'm working on the next thing. Really excited about the next thing that's going to be uh, launching here pretty soon. But uh, I will be taking out, taking down that e-course. So uh, hopefully if you're interested in that, you can go ahead and, and uh, sign up for that and uh, go through before I, before I take it down. All right, so with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace. <laughs>